I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, skags. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian in late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to an impromptu, special, non-bad faith correlated episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and we are doing this episode for two reasons. One is that there was a very, very long queue at the end of the last episode, and we were having a really rich conversation that came out of the live stream, the Seize the House live stream that I did with Marion Williamson and others on Wednesday, which a lot of people, which, you know, opened the can of worms about how much the left should be investing in electoral politics. And also last Thursday's episode of Bad Faith Podcast, which of course is free wherever you get your podcast and you can watch the full video on Bad Faith YouTube, was an interview with Ash Kalra, who was shepherding through uh, AB 1400, the California CalCare Medicare for All bill, um, but ultimately decided not to force a vote on the issue, something which the nurses who had been organizing and working with him and many others in the California community and beyond were very chagrined about. And I pressed him for about an hour about that decision. And people had very mixed feelings about the answers he was giving as to why he did not, in fact, force the vote. Now, several people that I really admire in the left space had, I think, some really important criticisms. In particular, a lot of folks over at the Revolutionary Black Network, in particular, and also Sabi Sabs. And I wanted to give them an opportunity to come and dialogue with us in this space to talk about, realistically, what the left should and should not be focused on and to offer a a broader platform for their kind of critique that I think is really broadly felt across the left. Um, I am seeing that Compton J is having a little bit of a delay because he has not yet um, downloaded call-in. So I'm going to go ahead and start taking some callers while I get them situated. Johnny, you're up first. What's on your mind? Hello. Hello. Hey there. Um, So uh, first off... um, you know, the whole like people died for your right to vote. I kind of like want to push back on that paradigm because it's like how many people have died because of flaccid voting policies, you know, like in the Iraq war and all these things. I mean, everybody votes blue no matter who. And so we don't really it's never framed in the consequences of misusing our electoral abilities here. And it's always like, well, you just have to vote out of habit. And I think, you know, we're probably on the same page about that. But um, that's that's one thing. And the Ash Kalra, <clears throat> I think his diplomacy was really off-putting for me as far as like not being able to say Gavin Newsom is corrupt. I mean, there's a definition of what corruption is. I think you did a great job of 
pushing him on that because it, I mean, there's no satisfactory answer why you wouldn't stand with the people. And it's always like, well, I don't want to hurt my chances in the future and all these things. But I also feel like that really feeds into political apathy. You know, like, how is it that we're going to trust you if you can't say something that's totally obvious? Now, I'm not saying that people should be, you know, F you and, you know, this sucks and all that stuff, because that's, you don't want to ruffle feathers for sure. But I feel like there's, you know, a, a needle to be threaded as far as how do you speak up for your actual constituents versus when you're in a room with these people and they're nice. And that's the thing. It's like, these are all human beings. They're not robots. So there's this ability to like want to be, you know, or this tendency to want to be accepted. But I think, you know, when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, you guys. <laughs> yeah, this this question of not wanting to ruffle feathers, I think is really interesting because I can conceive of a world and this might be naive and I know some folks might not even agree with this, but I can conceive of a world where it would be worth it to not ruffle feathers, to hold your tongue, to even, let's say, not force a vote if there were some real tangible expectation that it wasn't going to be a Lucy in the football situation. Right, right. But given the history of the world and the lack of concrete assurances that Ash was willing to give us. Now, from his perspective, he might be thinking, well, I don't want to name names because then those assurances mean nothing. You know, the condition of the insurance is that I don't name names. But what we have seen is that even the one or two in a group of 10 of people who make those assurances might be credible. The grand gestalt of history has showed us that people do the Lucy and the football. They make all these kind of promises, get you to basically protect them, and then they throw you under the bus. And they say, oh, okay, maybe maybe next time. Don't don't ruin your chances. Don't ruin your relationship. Right. And where has that gotten us? It, it, that's my point. It's like, okay, I get the paradigm that you guys are espousing, but literally, where has that gotten us? And not like, well, in the future and things might be different. And, you know, he shared that he and only one other person, I think out of like 56 uh, representatives, don't take corporate money. And he's mm-hmm. talking about trying to work with these people mm-hmm. and, you know, it massage their opinions to the point where they might join with him. And I think it's a waste of time. Why don't we get people who are already there? You know, instead of like, let's let's pull them on our side. Let's get these people out of there and get people. And so it's a long term goal for sure. I mean. I think this kind of like, well, let's think big picture, but let's also try to get it done as soon as possible in this really compromised way. And, you know, we end up like voting for things like Obamacare because we think it's a great idea, but we don't know where it came from. And it's just frustrating as a voter, as somebody who like really wants to vote. And I want and I do believe in the sanctity of electoral politics. I just think it's been. You know, it's I mean, they turn sex into pornography and they turn voting into whatever this is, you know, where it's it's this big popularity contest and people want to make grand gestures. But as you know, as yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. The, the thing is, it seems like what I took from Ash is that even, you know, if he very well may be operating in good faith, his um, reasoning is not in sync with my understanding of what motivates politicians and how change is happening, right? His his theory of change is not my theory of change. So the idea that being nice, like the the reason that politicians don't vote for things that their constituents want is because other politicians aren't nice enough to them. Right. Or, you know, if it's true that they think, you know, 
if it's true that they think that they can't win re-election, if they come out for something that's overwhelmingly popular, that is such a fundamental brokenness of the system that that should be the center of everybody's campaign rhetoric. Right. Do you know what I mean? That is how you get that populist energy by speaking directly to the fact that the system is broken, going on TV, using, even if you're being outspent or whatever by the pharmaceutical industry, calling that out, calling the propaganda against the interests of the people out and making it difficult for that, more difficult for that propaganda to be effective. And I, I, I cannot say this enough. The entire media establishment on both sides of the aisle is aligned against Donald Trump. Right. It was true. Nobody wanted him. He was an embarrassment. Jeb was out here talking about, please clap. And everybody, everybody was embarrassed and sad. Exactly. And that's where <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a perfect example of what happens when you just come out. But it's like, imagine he actually did the stuff that he said he was going to do. Or imagine that, you know, Bernie had that fieriness with his friend, Joe Biden on the stage. And, you know, he calls out Biden for saying he was going to cut Social Security. And Biden says, no, it's, you know, just an Internet video. Don't worry about it. And Bernie just stuck there like, well, I guess I can't argue with that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And I think he did a great job of, like, bringing up numbers and policy. And I think that there's so much missed in this political rhetoric of diplomacy where it's like that doesn't connect with real people. Like, that doesn't connect with construction workers, the fact that you are nice to other people, because my life is getting progressively worse every single election cycle. So it's like I wasn't into voting in politics or anything. And Bernie, you know, and his campaign, thanks for everything you did there. But that was what I mean, that really radicalized me in a way that got me into politics because somebody finally started using language that was colloquial, that was real language. But it also brought into like the Wall Street speculation tax, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, great. Now I can latch onto that idea and I can share that idea with my friends. I can't share a speech of what this might look like as far as bridging barriers between our past and what the future we want to create. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I, I, and I said this to, to Asha at the end of the conversation. I was like, you know, look, you've said your piece. I, I've offered up what the counter is going to be. But I think that what you, one of the things you really need to consider, and I hope you really took into account, is the demoralizing effect of this on the movement. Exactly. And even if you think there's like this off chance that maybe you'll have a few more seats or whatever next year around, it's going to be harder for you next year around with the people you already have because you've put, you've thrown the pie in their face already. And I think that aspect of the calculation, you know, what about all the voters who really want Medicare for all? What yeah. about all the voters who don't believe you? What about all the voters that you're systemically um, demoralizing in this process? And that though it's always the race for the bottom. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. And I think what we get into is like, well, people don't show up. And so we have to like work with what we have, but people aren't showing up for a reason. And something that happened in Ireland last election cycle is that Sinn Féin, which is kind of a third party, they were really forward about let's have equal opportunity housing. Let's have, you know, a cap there. Let's um, they just said real things. And there's a record number of young people who came out to vote. And um, and I think that's something that we, we don't see here. It's like, oh, well, we just have to deal with what we deal with. But what percentage of eligible voters are actually voting and how can we make them vote and, or uh, encourage them to vote rather than just being like, oh, well, some people are apathetic and some people just aren't going to participate. Well, why is that? And I think like making a realistic distinction between 
those people not wanting to vote versus people who are just literally too far gone, which I think is a very, very small percentage of people. Um, I, I agree. And I appreciate you calling in, Johnny. Thank you always, as always, for your insights. For sure. One more thing real quick, if I may. Um, just uh, I would like to talk about um, like what we could do to actually hold people accountable. Is there a legal way that we could have people sign contracts that says, you know, like we're going to hold your your reelection money in escrow until uh, or or, you know, we're going to like if we raise money for you and you don't vote aligned with what you promised us. How can we, you know, manage those funds in a way that we're not just constantly giving money to people so they can do whatever they want? Because once people are in office, you know, AOC famously said she'd rather be one term, but that's just simply not the case. So I'm wondering if there are any legal ways that we could hold people accountable. Yeah, well, you know, someone they tried that. Democrats started a remember there was that um, fund that was raised for Susan Collins uh, if she. Uh, voted the right way. I think it was about Kavanaugh. And if she voted to confirm Kavanaugh, the money that they had raised for a reelection campaign was going to be given to a, an incumbent. I'm sorry, a, a challenger campaign. I don't remember that. No. Uh, yeah, that was the thing that people did at one time. I don't actually remember. It was like, it was like liberals, you know, but I don't remember exactly what happened of it. Obviously not much. <laughs> Well, right. And um, it's like, if you know Susan Collins' voting record, you know that probably wasn't the best idea, you know? I'm from Maine. She has a terrible voting record. So I, I don't see why people thought, well, maybe. And that's the thing. It's like, oh, let's just get these people who are really kind of shitty to, like, agree with us because we're going to entice them to do so, rather than there's so many people who already agree with us that just aren't in office yet. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Johnny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to move on to get to some of the queue, but I appreciate you calling in. Of course. Thanks for Bye-bye. Hey, Eric, what's going on? I'm still sorry. I'm a little distracted because I'm trying to get the speakers in the speaking spots. Speakers, I know you can hear me. Can, when I invite you to be a speaker, can you please say yes so you're up in the speaker's box? Thank you. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, yeah. Um, just, just even seeing the title... Um, is electoral politics dead? Um, I guess you could say in its current form, yes. And to me, it's mainly to do with, um, how our actual, like, power structure itself works. So, whether it's, um, corporations being considered people, money, free speech, all that, I mean... Like what? That's why I keep. That's why I kept bringing up like last time about why are we doing this in a party that's bought that's bought and paid for? Why are you still trying to run in this party? Well, you know, we have you know Afini up here uh, who is working for um, Michaela Wilkes' campaign, and I would love her to speak to that because if Afini, you're someone who I think has a lot of sympathies, as do I, for some of the frustrations with. The focus on electoral politics at the same time, there's obviously an extent to which, whether it's candidate specific or based on some other criteria, one we, we might still be invested. And these are candidates that are not running third party, right? Is mm -hmm. she third? Is she running as a Democrat? Yeah, she has. Like, yeah, Maryland is closed primary, so she has to. <laughs> okay, so this is this is the situation. Like several of the people that we talked to on the live stream on Wednesday, either had run as a third party candidate before, like um, 
uh, Christine Olivo in Florida. Um, I believe um, Justin Call had run as a third party before as well, or they're constrained in the same way as Michaela is in having to run on the Democratic Party ticket. So it's not that I'm unsympathetic, but I do think that there is a flatness to some of the critique that doesn't take that into account. Ifini, what do you think? Um, absolutely. And, you know, I also want to be very clear, like, you know, Michaela is a lot farther to the left than, you know, the Democratic Party. And she's also very aware of the constraints of running third party. She's thought about it. It's just at the end of the day, like, it's just not really feasible for her. Um, and as somebody, you know, I'm an activist and organizer. Like, that's what I that's what I really like to spend my time doing. Um, I think that, you know, having Michaela there, of course, is better than having Steny Hoyer there. Um, but at the in the grand scheme of things like do i think that she's going to make a huge splash no because we've already seen what happens when we send progressives to congress and also like i talk to people within cory bush's office who are literally telling like who literally say like they will not let her say certain things like they will muzzle her they're going to blame her they're, they're trying to like you know get her um unseated like so these are the things that if even if you do go into that space and you do join them like these are things you have to deal with so in my mind i just think that it's time that we all do focus on direct action i love michaela i really you know clearly i'm working her campaign i hope she wins i i'm not going to sit up here and say that i don't but do i think that she's going to be any different than what they're doing to cory bush right now i mean probably not <laughs> this looking at so can, can, can you speak to that a little bit because i think this is the central tension there are a lot of us who feel, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. As much as I, I think I've been an extremely vocal critic of um, electoralism and some of these candidates in the squad, I also am in the position where I'm confronted with real people who often don't have a lot of money or resources who are running these campaigns because they believe in something and have looked around and assessed that they have absolutely no chance running as a third party candidate today that they would 100% want to support the growth of third-party candidacies and would vote down legislation that would make it more difficult for third parties to run and all this kind of stuff, are very enthusiastic, maybe have run as a third party in the past, but who have assessed their odds and said, I'm not going to take a time out of my, a year out of my life, all this money that I don't really have, fundraise when I know there's not a shot in hell and can, you know, I don't have the resources to run a purely symbolic campaign. Mm -hmm. I remember covering um, Carrie Elvin, um What's her face in um, Delaware? Uh, and as she ran, talking about how she like didn't have money to pay for diapers for her kid at the same time as she's running. You know, th these are our progressive working class candidates that we love so much. And then at yeah, the same time, we're telling them, you know, basically run the symbolism campaign for shits and giggles when they actually want to have a chance to win. And whereas I used to be very much like, oh, I'll just run as a third party candidate. As I talk to more and more of these candidates, I don't feel like I feel like that's a little bit of a position of privilege for me to be in, whereas somebody else can maybe just blow a few hundred thousand dollars and waste a year of their life and in income. You know, mm. other people can't. I, I don't know. And, and so if you like, obviously, it's the case that you felt strongly enough to want to like get involved and participate in this campaign in particular. So how do you thread the needle? Like, how do you come to conversations about the value or merits of electoralism and the distrust some people have? right off the bat for anyone who's running as a Democrat? I mean, I think that, I think my situation is very unique, you know, because um, like 
Michaela knew who I was. Dash, my co-campaign co-campaign manager, like they knew who I was and what my opinions were before I joined the campaign. And I was very clear about the fact that you know, yes, I have to, I have this job because you know I do want to I want to have an organizing job. Number one. And it's very hard to find an organizing job that I was fully aligned with anyway in the nonprofit space. And number two, I also told them, you know, I'm going to continue to say the things that I say. I'm going to continue to feel the way that I feel because, yes, while I am, you know, doing this because I need to pay my rent uh, and also because I do love and care about Michaela. Um, I understand that fundamentally, unless we start to really ramp up direct action and unless we really start to put pressure on people that are in power, like sending Michaela there without a real movement behind her, sending Michaela there without a threat, sending uh, sending all of these progressives there without a real threat of like what's going to happen if our policies don't get pushed through and if they don't mm-hmm. follow through on those threats, then then what are we then we're in back in the same spot and you know something that really bothered me about the conversation that y'all had on wednesday was something that katie said and you know i i like katie or whatever like we follow each other so you know i'm not like trying to shit on her or anything but something that really bothered me is is, like she said that we need to be politically educated and and like do electoral politics do the you know voting progressives in until we know it doesn't work but it's like, we already know that. Like, we've known that for decades, actually. There have been many people that ran as, you know, people that say that they supported different social issues. Like, where's the ERA at? The Democrats have had all this time to, to you know, help get that uh, added to the um, to the Constitution, get the Constitution amended. But they haven't done that. Where, Roe v. Wade is not codified in law. Mm-hmm. But Barack Obama ran on a public option. Where's that at? Like, this, mm-hmm. is a, this is a long-standing pattern of electoral politics and people that say that they, you know, want to change everything. Nothing happens. So it's like, yeah, what yeah. do we have to add to the formula at this point? Yeah. I'm with you. I think the, the, the argument at one point was, you know, it's just not enough. We don't have big enough majorities. Uh, but between the kind of supermajority that Barack Obama had and then the reality that even with the slim majority – that the, the, we had because we had a slim majority in the house these past this past year or so the small number of progressives that we do have had the effect of a very large number because they were the swing vote as it were and they still didn't do x y and z that's why i keep coming back to force a vote because to me that was kind of the death knell of this argument that all we need to do is vote for more because we had enough to do the thing and they still wouldn't do it you know what i mean Peter. Uh, Afidi, I want to. Yeah. I'm going to ask everyone up here to introduce themselves. But before we let this point go, you mentioned um, Corey Bush feeling restrained or being told explicitly there are things that she cannot speak to. Are you able to elaborate uh, any more on that to give us a better position, a, a better sense of what's going on with these figures? Yeah. So I'm like a couple of weeks ago, and I think I DM'd you privately about this. But a couple of weeks ago, um, Corey Bush's office had reached out to me to start to organize a camp, like an anti-war campaign, because of. Um, some of the things that were happening around China, like the they were trying to put like sanctions on China and like start like a new Cold War. And that legislation did go through, by the way, swimmingly. For some reason, they can that can pass with no problem. But mm. social programs cannot. But anyway. Um, so we started to do the work on that. We started to reach out to like more radical black groups. And then I was basically told, like, we have to stop, like, you know, they they just don't want us pushing on this issue. 
Um, and, you know, you can already see what's happening also, like, in the press with them bla- basically blaming Cory Bush and the defund the police messaging mm-hmm. for the fact that the Democrats are losing and not the fact that the, de- the Democrats just haven't done anything. So they're going to continue to scapegoat her. And I feel like that, you know, there are a lot of frustrations within her office. There are a lot of frustrations within Cory Bush, I feel like, um, because th- there there is real change that Cory Bush wants to effectuate. But because... Mm-hmm she's surrounded by people that are not actually going to push as hard as she is like what what are you going to do with that where are you going to go with that yeah i mean uh, so what's your feedback on all that eric like does that does that so, make you feel go ahead oh no 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 finish finish i'm sorry well i was going to ask if it makes you feel any differently about some of the candidates that are running that run as democrats have run as democrats the cory bushes of the world it might make you still frustrated with their behavior but does that make you any more empathetic or think differently I mean, about the value of of electing these folks I mean, sure, I have, I have some sort of, I have empathy, of course. Um, my thing is, though, like, and I know some, I think Afidi was starting to talk about it too, but like, where's, where's the structure that's behind that? You feel me? Like, where, where is that? Okay, there has to be that threat, but it needs to be a threat that's material. So. That's why that's why you hear some people talk about like why why aren't we taking over the greens, as an example. I mean, I know I brought this up to you before, but the eco socialists are the majority within the greens. So I'm like, okay, why not do you can I guess you can do that on the more like closed and I know Florida has a closed election system too. They have closed primaries in Florida too. So okay, you can I guess if you're stuck doing that, you have to, you're stuck doing that on more of a federal stuff, but still, you know, but still do stuff like don't rule out the Greens as, a, as another parallel option, I guess. Right. So, again, Eric, I just really push back to say these things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I agree that some people speak in no, a way no, that makes no, them mutually exclusive. No, great, great. Mm-hmm. I wasn't saying they were mutually exclusive. I say you do them together. Yeah. You yeah, still, yeah. You, that's the whole point of having that pressure. You do them together. So are you saying that then you would support candidates, including a number of the Seize the House candidates, um, in I their mean, runs at the same time that you support Green Party activism? Yeah, but I'm going to have to put I'm going to put caveats on that support, though, because it because I don't want the wrong message to be that I'm supporting the party itself. Right, but the, these are individual candidates, candidates like Michaela or Christina Levo or whomever it is. I mean, it's resonated with it's you. Gonna be, it's going to be support with a lowercase s. It's going to be a distance support, but it's still like, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, I'll end up voting for you, but it's not, but like, I guess don't expect to be too excited. You see what I mean? Like, don't, don't expect to be excited for contributing to this party again. Yeah, I, I respect that. I think that's an interesting position to take because it does feel a little bit to me like being half pregnant. Like if I, I appreciate if you don't want to give money because people don't have money and I completely respect that. But it does seem kind of like reserved, but vocal support is free. You know, I will be voting for this person. Here's an opportunity to maybe even make a couple calls for this person. You know, I hope this person wins. I, I You know, there are people who are now saying things like, oh, and, and I completely respect it, but there's a position that some people are taking that's like, you know, I, I'm indifferent, let's say, to Nina Turner's run, even though Chantel Brown is this corporatist who well, sucks. 
Well, see, well, see, that's the thing. That's also the thing too. It's like when I say when I say this and go about doing it, I gotta because because I, I teach myself, right? Mm-hmm. I, I teach I teach math is one of the worst subjects to teach ever. Um, <laughs> but but um, <laughs> but yeah, I I kind of think about it and go, can I look my students in the eye and say that I did what I did? Can I look mm-hmm. them in the eye? I mean, I have a lot of high school students, so I'm like, can I look them in the eye and say this? Like, somebody- well, let me ask you this, Eric, and I, and I want to let um, I see that Jay's here and Courtney. I want everyone to introduce themselves in a second. But Eric, let me ask you this, and this is not a leading question. I sincerely don't know how I would answer it. If it were, you know, the 1930s, and here comes FDR, oh, hell. <laughs> and Okay, well, you know, in the in hindsight, if, if you were going into that saying, oh, no, there's there's a more radical candidate, uh, you know, he's this, you know, moneyed elite, I don't really believe he's going to do anything he's going to do, would you feel bad in retrospect after we got the New Deal and all this stuff, like, oh, I should have helped, if you knew that your, your vote was going to be the make or break of whether or not um, FDR was going to get elected for the first time, despite his, you know, flaws, would you feel some kind of way about that? I mean, I don't know if I, well, that's assuming I don't, we don't know what we know now, but um, can I answer it both ways? Sure. Okay. So I might, like, that depends if I saw, like, the New Deal coalition, like the, the socialist, the communists, the, the, like, actual, co- the actual coalition campaigning for them. For them. I know they didn't mm. really, yeah, if I saw, like, the actual socialist communist campaign for okay, I'll bite the bullet there. That and, okay. that's, and mind you, that's before knowing anything. So okay. after, so let's say we know we know now, you know, the New Deal, how it excluded black folks, all stuff, like and how the New Deal coalition was um, effectively destroyed by the elites. Um, Nah, knowing that, I would be like, I'd have to take the bullet the other way and say, mm-mm. All right, fair enough. Thank you for that, Eric. I want to give I want to give some of these speakers a chance to, to speak. Um, Jay, this is our first time meeting IRL off the internet. How are you? Welcome. Just unmute yourself in the bottom in the, in the with the mic icon in the bottom right and um, tell the audience who you are. Oh, okay, there we go. Hello, great. Um, I am Jay. They know me on uh, social media as Tom and Jay, one of the uh, founders of the Revolutionary Blackout Network. Terrific. And Afini, you've spoken, but go ahead and give yourself a quick introduction. Hi, I'm Afini. Um, I am back to actually hop soon because I have to work. Unfortunately, I just got a text message, but that's legitimate. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm Afini. I'm uh, one of the campaign managers for the Michaela Wilkes campaign. I'm also an organizer um, with uh, Reclaim and Control DC, Freedom Fighters DC, um, and I do a lot of mutual aid because, yeah. Terrific. Thanks, Afini. Feel free to drop off whenever. I appreciate you and your insights that you were able to give. Um, and Courtney, please introduce yourself. Oh, my God. Queen, <laughs> icon, legend. Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Honor. Oh my God. We are sweating. I'm here with my sister, 
Natasha. Hello. Hey, I'm so glad both of you are here. Oh my God. We're, we're really sweating. We're the bank sisters. Um, basically I would say we get to, we get the pleasure of hopping on to a revolutionary blackout network to speak with, um, all of the great people and activists that they have on there. We're kind of more representative of your average meandering (laughs) voter, uh, who's found their way to the left. And, um, we learned so much from just talking to them. So we kind of offer our perspective from like, even with what you guys were saying so much about, um, movement and all of that, we feel like we're a part of that, you know, we're not organizers, but we were a part of that wave, that AOC Bernie movement that had energy to go somewhere and mm-hmm. just looking for somewhere and how that can be used the most effectively. All right. Well, welcome to everyone. Jay, I want to give you a chance to kind of weigh in on this conversation that Eric and I were having. What is your attitude toward electoralism, generally speaking, or does it depend more on the candidate at issue? Um, I guess it would more depend if we're speaking nationally or locally. So uh, nationally, I would say um, uh, my stance on electoral politics is third party. I mean, to sum it up in a nutshell. And then locally, I don't have such a stance against voting for the Democratic Party, and it's the party, and it's never, I'm not going to say it that way. For me, when we're talking about some of these uh, non-corporate candidates, it's the party and not necessarily uh, the candidate, that makes sense. So what do you make of someone like, um, you know, Michaela Wilkes, who has to run as a Democrat? you know, in her state? Or what do you make of some of the other candidates that we had on the, you know, Seize the House panel that have previously run green or third party and failed because of the, you know, the real barriers that exist to doing so and have tried to take a second bite at the apple on the Democratic Party line? Well, I reject the, the premise or the phrasing of has to run as a Democrat, uh, and I spoke to another former candidate, uh, Hector, I always say his last name wrong, but Hector O, um, I, you know, debated him uh, about this particular topic, uh, or one of, these is one of the points, and um, you, you can't, you can't say, because I can't beat him, join him. That can't be, uh, in my opinion, opinion, the strategy nationally with the Democratic Party. Um, nothing's going to change until we stop voting for them. All right. Eric, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much I pretty much generally agree with that. Um, so let me ask both of you. Did you support Bernie in 2016 or 2020? Um... I was arrested in Penn, so I couldn't vote in the Democrat primary anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2016, I didn't know much about burning. Uh, I just, I just sat on the sideline. I said, let me, let me just watch. And so when I saw what happened with the Clinton campaign, basically screwing them over, I'm like, yeah, we're done with this. Left, left that Democrat party and everything. So. So no, I didn't. I didn't actually vote for him because I, I couldn't. So Jay, one argument that I've heard um, Nick make on Revolutionary Blackout Network before is about how he was radicalized and learned so much about organizing and door knocking 
through the process of, of campaigning for Bernie. Um, and to me, that's an interesting argument in support of electoralism as a kind of recruiting um, tool that helps people get involved and then funnel them towards something perhaps more direct action-y or more to the left of what the candidates that are running and the Democratic Party are able to offer. What do you make of that argument? Jay? I hear you unmuted yourself, but I'm not hearing any words. Um, uh, oh, sorry. There we go. Uh, I think you can hear me now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what I would say in response to that is uh, let's do that campaigning. Let's do that door knocking. Let's change it from a candidate to general strike campaign. That's what my response would be to that. Uh, again, we cannot say the duopoly is the problem, but let's go ahead and continue with the duopoly. Th that thinking, and, I, and it sounds like leftists are trying their way, trying their best to squeeze themselves back into this duopoly, and I'm saying stop. So this is a version of a conversation that I had in a prolonged way with um, Shama Swant and Chris Hedges. And I asked them this question, and they gave an answer similar to yours. But then when I, I answered, okay, we're in a midterm cycle. Should we all sit out of midterms and ignore them? Which it wasn't a leading question. They could have just said no. I mean, they could have said, yes, let's ignore them, and we can keep on keeping on and just funnel all of our energy into other things. And I would have dropped it. But they said, no, we should not sit out the midterms, which to me is a contradiction. You know what I'm saying? So it's well, it's it's no, not no no I do no, no, no I do not, not know what you're saying on that. No. I don't I don't know what you're saying on that. They're saying that we should participate and vote in the electoral in midterms. That's what they said. I said do you think that people right. should not vote in midterms? They said we should vote in midterms. So if we're going to vote in midterms, that means that on some level whether or not there's someone running as a candidate, whether it's not we're just going to pull the lever at the booth there has to be some decision-making, some investment in what's going on, who these candidates are, et cetera. Their outcomes, maybe you want to fund the one that's the preferable one, all these kinds of things. Now, I didn't tell them to say that. They could have very easily said, don't vote in midterms, don't vote for Democrats ever again. That's what you're saying, and I think that's a completely cogent philosophical position to take. But that is not what they said. So I guess I'm, I'm asking you, what do you make of the ongoing election cycles that are not going to end just because – certain leftists might choose to divest from them. I, I reject the, the framing because you're not bringing up any other parties. You're, that's, the prop, that's why I said, no, I'm not with what you're saying, because the framing is as if we only have two options. You can participate in it, but there's third party options. That's right, but, for that's mo most, but, but most people are not going to have a third party option. What does that mean? That there so, are so you're, so you're most telling elections. Me, hold on a second. Most people will walk into an election booth and there will only be a red or blue choice. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I reject that. And if that is the case, let's say you're in, a, in, a, in an area where literally there is no other candidate, not viable. Mm -hmm. I want to make that clear because I've had the same sort of misunderstanding uh, with uh, Hector, because when he got down to it, he was saying no other choices. He meant viable, 
after I kept questioning them about it. So I just want to make sure it's clear. I mean, where it's literally well, no literally, other No, I'm with you. I, right. Jay, I, get, I, get I, you. I am a Green Party voter. I, I'm framing it for the about... audience, Bree. Yeah. I'm framing it for the audience, Bree, because okay. this, this particular question has been misunderstood in, um, in my opinion. So in the case where there's literally no other option but red or blue, in that case only, I would say sit out. Mm. In that specific case. I don't believe the majority of the population has that choice to make. All right, let's let's I believe these types of arguments but these types of arguments are sort of process arguments that never Oh, Jay, you cut out again. Process arguments that never I'm not sure what happened. I don't know why this keeps cutting now. Okay, you're back. It's, it might it might be your earphones or something if it's wireless. Oh, it is. It is wireless. But yeah. Um, but um, that never. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. It's it's it, it's it's like a, it, we keep having these process arguments, but the it's never applied. So let me let me explain what that means. So the process you're saying the process is just it's just red or blue. The process is just red or blue. So we have to pick somebody here. What I mean by it's never applied is that person, your progressive, any of the ideas they want is never going to be applied. Mm-hmm. So you're asking me to participate, right, in this, the, this only option, and I'm only going to participate because I'm a leftist in a person, like, I'm not going to vote for Chantel Brown, even if it's only two. But let's say it's Michaela. Mm-hmm. Whatever Michaela believes when she gets to Washington, D.C., none of that's going to happen. All of the stuff Michaela is saying to get elected, none of that's going to happen. Like literally not a, not a percent, not 1% of 1% of that is going to happen. So yeah. this is what I mean is never applied. It's never applied. Ever. Do you, what do you think about this argument? And I, I don't disagree with you, by the way. I'm, I'm mooting the arguments just like I moot the arguments. So what do you, <laughs> what do you think job. of this argument um, that the – potential of getting into these positions gives you a platform that enables you if only kind of rhetorically um, and symbolically but enables you to spread the ideas further than they might otherwise be spread so even if you think that um, Bernie Sanders ultimately is cheap hurting people in the Democratic Party even if you think all those things the fact that he was able to popularize Medicare for all over kind of a five-year swing to the extent that the overwhelming majority is you know, 88% of Democrats and about 50% of Republicans want it is a net win for the next person who comes down the line who might be able to be a non-Democrat running. Jay, I'm not sure if you're talking, but we can't hear anything. I'm going to go ahead and bring up the, the next caller. Okay. Oh, I can hear you now, Jay. Yeah, it's weird. Why, oh, I think maybe it's my phone. Anyway, I'll take care of it. Um, I, I still, I I sort of, uh, still sort of reject the premise. I think giving, giving Bernie Sanders the credit that because this is a nationwide conversation, all of that credit because of that campaign, I think it's, it's a little bit, um, you're giving him a little bit too much credit. I think is that's. It? 
So that's what I that's what I would say to that. Like you just spark the you spark the conversation, but to say that the pandemic hasn't opened up people's eyes also at right, this point. But, but Jay, it's the, like, the, come on, like <laughs> But Jay Pop, the popularity of Medicare for all happened before the pandemic. Those poll numbers happened before the pandemic, and it's not absolutely clear to me. It's not clear to me that a pandemic, that the pandemic, pandemic has really done anything with respect to, um, unfortunately, regretfully, tragically, create any more political viability for Medicare for all. Because we, we, it's not, a, it's about, not about persuading anybody anymore. All the people who needed to be persuaded were persuaded in the five years since 2006, you know, 15 before the pandemic. And the pandemic, I, I would like to say that we live in a world where the pandemic happened and suddenly Bernie surges in the polls because everybody gets how exigent this is. And if there's all this pressure on Biden and Kamala to use the Emergency Power Act and expand Medicare. I would love to believe that is the case, but it obviously isn't. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make Bernie the Lord and Savior, but I think I, I have a hard time imagining that Medicare for all would be on everybody's lips in a kind of something that everyone in 2020 had to pretend to want. All of those Medicare for all who wants it, all of that was in response to the reality that voters have an appetite for Medicare for all. And it's hard for me to imagine that we live in that world without Bernie's 2016 run. Yeah. That's, not what yeah. I, that's not at all what I'm saying. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm simply saying the accolades that's given to him is just a little high, in my opinion. Okay, let's, but what about take, what I'm let's saying? Take, let's, take, let's take what you're saying for, for face value. Mm-hmm. What is the issue then? You brought up the point of Medicare yeah. for all. What so, issue are we talking about? So, we're going to popularize through which candidates? So, Jay, my I'll argument, ask. the argument what that I'm articulating, Jay, the argument that I'm articulating is that without this electoral effect of Bernie's run, this issue would not be as popular as it is today which can then be weaponized usefully in political context by some genuine progressive, some non-Democrat down the line. But it might be difficult to imagine a third-party candidate who shut off the debate stage, who's marginalized in the way that they're marginalized, who isn't able to raise the amount of money and have the ads that Bernie was able to run in these two elections, to have popularized the issue in the same way. And the question simply is, is there a value in participating in electoralism for the purposes of advancing left issues on a broad national field, and also for the reasons that Nick has articulated in the past, to basically make people feel empowered and recruit people into other kinds of left organizing. Courtney, it sounded like you had something to say. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, credit to where credit is due for Bernie, pushing everybody to that level of having to claim to care about Medicare for all for those few months. Um, but I think like you also asked the question, like, would it be sufficient to have someone? Yeah, like kind of just help spread that message. And I think we're kind of past that point. Like, that's kind of where I'm at. Just mm-hmm. as a voter, I need urgency. Like the mm-hmm. thing that stood out to me the most um, in the stream was Rebecca Parsons. Mm-hmm. And because of the direct action that she talked about and how they cleaned up trash and then they put that trash at the steps mm-hmm. of City Hall. Yeah. Like, I need somebody who is going to go in and fucking chain themselves to a desk or something. Like, we don't have time. Like, Rashida Tlaib, they all had this fire and this power, and they said they were going to do all these things, and they would, they as, as many callers pointed out, would be one term, but we don't see them taking right. those risks. We don't see them using the movements behind them. They have all of us who are sitting here waiting. I mean, we were sit, literally standing next to you at Force the Vote last year in D.C. That was one of the first things we kind of came to, because we mm. had 
home yeah. with our parents. We were like, well, if we have to move back home, we'll at least try to go and do things. And people are ready to do things. And it's just like, I would much rather give my my little bit of money that I have, my little bit of time that I have or efforts to a direct action. And so that's why I feel like a movement kind of attached with these, with these candidates would be better served because it's like, like even Cori Bush said, you know, during the summer, like, Oh, well, we don't vote as a block. Well, why are we voting for you all then? Isn't that strategy? Mm So Bank sisters collectively. uh, What, what do you make of this? You, you mentioned Rebecca Parsons. Rebecca Parsons is running as a Democrat. Is that, does that mean that you wouldn't consider, even if you don't give money to her campaign, would you not consider you know, supporting her, making calls for her, stuff like that, if she were in your district? Ooh, Oof. Making Ooh. calls is a stretch. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Interesting. Um, because, well, you have to understand, like, we, were, we lived here during the uh, Virginia governor's race, right? And our mm-hmm. parents were Democrats, and they uh, usually help with phone banking and uh, you know, all of those things and through their church. And basically, the Democratic Party, they did not reach out to any of their normal volunteers. They said, we're just going to text bank. Our parents don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And they they just Mm -hmm. abandoned people. And there's too much that the Democratic Party has basically, you know, left us abandoned. And so I just feel like with the little bit of resources we do have, like, I I felt more fulfilled making calls for Stephen Dozinger. You know, I felt Mm -hmm. more doing those kind of things. And it's just like, I almost can't put my hopes again into it but Rebecca however I followed her on Twitter for a long time so we have that relationship the same with like uh, I think Christine uh, Olivia uh, I don't know how her last name but mm-hmm. the kind of people I've followed and I've seen that they're consistent um so may, there might be something there just because of that personal relationship right mm-hmm. yeah. and, and also something more based on policy you know I mean if you can see the actual actions you know whether or not the person is a Democrat you might be able to let it slide. <laughs> well, Jay is saying that because none of the policies that they run on are ever going to get effectuated, then it's kind of a moot point. Right, Jay? But that's why I think that it's got to all, like, if there was a promise of a direct action or they had mm-hmm. some sort of, as someone else said, to, way to be beholden to us for actually giving our vote. Like, for us, for me, I would continue saying up until midterms, there's no way I'm going to vote for a Democrat right now. I'm going to withhold my vote until the very end. Like, that's just how I see it, because right now I I don't see a future in it the same way that Jay does. But I guess I, I'm a little bit more <laughs> a bit. You pulled my heartstrings a bit, you know, with helping us get getting to as well. So, you know, we have a few months to get there, but I'm going to be staunch right now because I want to squeeze out as many you know concessions and as much power as I can. Yeah, Jay, what do you make of that accountability point? What what does that look like? Even if it's a third party candidate, how do you make sure that the third party has an accountability mechanism that makes it not just turn into the Democratic Party or any of these other countries where they have multiple parties, but most of them, if not all of them, are pretty crap? There is no real way to turn any party into that. We have to stop putting faith, that type of faith that you're describing into any party. Like that that has that has to be over. But let me let me answer the point you, you brought up earlier. Um, and as far as a campaign, doing a campaign or doing this process in order to bring up other uh, leftist uh, issues, Bernie campaign did all of that already. Like I'm trying to just think of other issues that isn't already popularized. Defund the police is that wasn't through the Bernie Sanders campaign or maybe by way of, but it, that is. 
Medicare for all, like you said, income inequality, the climate action. Like, I'm trying to think of what other issue. So no, I hear it. I think, of, I think Courtney okay. made that point, too, that we that Right, like, there's, did, there's so no other, there's yeah, there's no other. There's on that. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Right, exactly. Eric and then, mm-hmm. well, the other point I wanted to make is, and this is probably the more important point, and that is Bernie Sanders dropped the campaign. Right. So I'm sorry, is, Bernie Sanders dropped the movement when yeah. the campaign ended. So I, I'm that glad can't you brought that be up. the thing anymore. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that counterfactual. Uh, counter what if we lived in a world where um, Bernie Sanders had run in exactly the way he did in 2020, but because of the pandemic and because of the exigency of the moment, his you know 1963 brain turned back on and he said, God damn it. I'm going to run third party. <laughs> How would you have felt about that kind of move to try to use the Democratic Party platform to get your votes out, uh, to get your voice out there and then pivot it in fraction away? I'm sorry. I'm not sure I understand the question. How would you feel? So, for example, I've heard people say, like oh, I would have Marianne been Williamson. happy if he... Uh-huh. Some people people have said, oh, Marianne Williamson should run as a Democrat. And when they screw her over, she should pivot at the last minute and... Uh, when they shut her out of the primary process and she loses, she should launch a third-party campaign. Oh, I love that strategy. It's very similar to a strategy I was just talking about on a stream, whereas, um, for example, it's very similar to this inside strategy. I'm for, not for, I'm not against all inside strategies. The inside strategy, which is similar to what you're describing here that I am for, is Similar to what you're saying, running as a Democrat, and then if they do something to you at the last minute switching, getting elected as a Democrat and switching. Like, that's how you're running. Like, but, but Jim, I'm running. How is that ever going to happen? How is that ever well, going to happen that, if that's you the don't only support, inf- if, How is that ever going to happen if you don't support the people who are running as a Democrat in the first that's place? Not how, I, that's not how it starts. That's not the chicken. That's the, that's, it's the other way around. You have to first speak that way first to get people. Way? It's not we support... You have to speak in a manner of saying, so, so when, I, when I'm saying the inside game, mm. no one has ran the way I'm describing. Because I've described this before, and people have said, oh, yeah, 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 that's all. No, no, you're not. I've seen your video, not you, but the person I was talking to. I've seen your video, and you don't say what I'm saying. So what, so what are you saying, dis- Jay? There's a dis- haven't seen the video. I'm saying, I'm saying explicitly the words. I'm running... As a Democrat, so I can get in here and can we use profanity on here? Fuck up the Democrat shit. Like that's that's how you're running. I'm running to go in here and fuck up all the Democrats' corruption. You're running against the party, not necessarily against the candidate. Like I would be for a candidate like that, but we don't have candidates like that. We have candidates that. Um, you know, subliminally uh, 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 critique. Uh, Jay, you got cut off again, but I really want to give Eric and some of these speakers a chance to weigh in, so maybe this is opportune. I think we got what you were getting at. Eric, what do you make of that argument? All the arguments that have been made. There's a lot that's been made, a lot of stuff that I've been trying to, like, dissect and go through in my head. Like, there's one thing that you said that, uh, Brianna, you said that – so I'm like a I like I'm a very solution 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 based oriented person. I, mm-hmm. I I like to try to find okay what's the problem, what's a potential solution. So when I dissect everything down, when I look at our typical like corporate Democrats, 
and I look at the situation that we set that we're set up in. It's that they, I truly believe that if your typical corporate liberal Democrats wanted to, I think they could end the Republican Party. I truly How do you believe mean? they could. Huh? How do you mean? Like I believe they know that the basic foundation of what people understand Dems to be on is more popular. Mm-hmm. I think they know that these progressive things are more popular. And if that just, if they leaned into it 15% more, I think they know they could almost like completely wipe out the Republican Party. I think they don't want to. Because I think if they do, they know that people to the left of them would come after them. I think the reason why you see like Jeffrey, what's his name? Um, the guy from New York, um, Hakeem Jeffries. Mm-hmm. When he starts that progressive pack, he's starting that progressive pack because he knows that his real enemy isn't Republicans. It's progressives, Mm -hmm. real progressives. So that's one of my issues with the squad is that they don't understand that Nancy Pelosi is an enemy. And they use the the because Republicans are can do some really bad willing to do some really bad things. They use that as like a whipping stick, like, oh, got to watch out for them. So when I rationalize all that down, I get to the point where I think one of the only things, one of the main solutions that they should do is, for example, you said Marianne Williams. If Marianne Williams decides to run in 2024, I mm-hmm. think she should run, try to run like a Democrat. If they treat her poorly, if they, you know, fuck her up and she loses and then whoever wins don't concede to some very hard demands. I think she should run as an independent okay, and but attempt what, to win. Mm-hmm. So Eric, what, what, what Jay is saying is that not only should she do that, but that she should announce that that's her intention from the beginning. I want to go to Katie, who of course was a co co-host of the Wednesday's seize the house stream with me to respond to this idea. I mean, do you think, Sorry, introduce yourself. Katie Halper of the Katie Halper Show, hardest working woman on the left, as I like to say. Hi, Hi everyone. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Thanks for what having do you, me. What do you think of, of that of that idea? I, I like it in theory. I'm a little concerned, and tell me if I'm being too conservative, everyone. I'm a little concerned about the how that will actually go down. Yeah, I mean, I think In terms of its like- effect on her viability. Go ahead. Well, I think that's the point. It's like we, it, the Democratic Party being this machine that it is, the whole point of doing the bait and switch, like political bait and switch, by which I mean, uh, not in the way that you, we usually use that term, but let's say running as a Dem and then switching to uh, independent or third party. The whole point of that is that you don't want to like arm your enemy with the knowledge that you would do that. Right. Because if people knew that, they would go to all sorts of lengths to prevent this person from having any time on stage. They go to all sorts of lengths to get this person barred from uh, the debate stage, kicked out. And I think that kind of speaks to like the real struggle here, which is that we are playing on two levels. Like we're playing, trying to, to get as much as possible out of the system while acknowledging how fucked uh, the system is. And Mm -hmm. it really, yeah. And I, multiple prongs i think yeah Mm -hmm. eric and i actually agree with what katie that's exactly what katie said is what i would agree with i think if you lead with that you open yourself up to legitimate attack because we also have to understand if you're going to run in a democratic primary you're running against democratic voters who have 
an innate Yes. Uh, 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 yeah, Bernie's not a Democrat, right? Yeah. Bernie, a lot of people were viscerally offended, and not just yeah. like you know Eve Bartlow or whatever, like real people who aren't like ops. Just they, you know, so many black people in, included just have a legit, legitimate affinity for the Democratic Party. They feel like right. that's been their home, and they take assault on the Democratic Party very personally. When Bernie said things like the Democratic establishment, people didn't understand that. Some there were bad faith actors, but there were also people who just really didn't understand what that meant. And I would agree that that's a political education campaign that has to be ongoing, and we can't rely on getting all that messaging done within the context of a campaign cycle. And we should try to help change how people see themselves in relation to the Democratic Party all the time. However, right. I don't think we should be naive to the realities of what's going to happen in the interim while we're doing that messaging work. Jay, what do you say to that? Uh, a couple of things. Um, if you don't say it, then you're not going to get voters like me. That's the first thing. Two, why are we only talking about getting Democratic voters? Because if you're saying that, Green Party voters are going to, ears are going to perk up. Communist voters' ears are going to perk up. You get what I'm saying? Stop thinking in the framing of Democrats and Republicans. Reach people who don't vote. How about 100 million people who don't vote? And they hear you saying, I'm going in to fuck up the Democratic Party. How many of those people are going to say, I'm voting for that guy? Here's the problem with not bringing it up. We can't hold you accountable for saying it because you never said it. That's the problem with not saying it. So you have to say it. That's required. And then you have to understand by saying that you can turn off some Democratic voters. How many other voters you're going to turn on? Well, let's 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 ask that, Jay. How many other voters are you going to turn on? Because this is the reality. The reality is that Bernie Sanders ran twice saying what saying you're going to get all these independent voters. We're going to get young voters to turn out in a way they never do. And the reality is. You know, this, this is not. I'm not saying to say that people shouldn't should stop trying this, but the reality is it has been extremely difficult to get non-voters to register and participate, especially in the context of one cycle. As you know, and all the people who here have done, done real organizing work and voter registration work know, that is an extremely tall order. And that again, I'm not saying this to say that it shouldn't be done, but just to be realistic about it. So when you say how many voters. Are we leaving behind and why are we trying to court Democratic voters? It's because the likely voter, the person who's voted before, the person who you know, defines themselves as a Democrat, is hundred that, that 65-year-old voter is 100% going to the polls. So and explain if, to me this. Explain to me yeah. this. The way that everybody or whoever's describing it this way, how do we ever get rid of the red-blue game doing it the way you're talking about? where we're electing progressives to the less racist imperialist team. And think about that. This is another big point that needs to be discussed here. And that is none of the non-corporate Democrats who are running, none of your ideas is the point of politics. So you not taking money is irrelevant if your boss takes money from corporations. It truly is irrelevant. Because you don't take money, but you're joining a team that takes money. You're for Medicare for all, but you're joining a team that's not for it. You're for defund the police, but you're joining a team that's not for it. Politics is not about your individual beliefs. Politics is about your team's beliefs. 
And that's the reason I can't vote for Democrats and I'm going to aggressively try to pull people away from that. So the argument is that someone like, you know, in the example we were talking about before, Bernie in a hypothetical world where he defected third party, Marion Williamson in a hypothetical world where she got screwed over, that she ran, got screwed over, and then decided to pivot to third party. That's the answer. That's what I think some people are holding out hope for, that someone will be able to successfully infiltrate the Democratic Party at the, at the top. And that's how we get a real third party in the country, that you get a popular president who gets in there, is able to say the right things and inspire people and inspire confidence and be able to call out members of his Congress or her Congress that don't fall in line and be able to say from the State of the Union speech from the highest podium in the land that these are it, it shocks and shames them that there are corporate Democrats who are in opposition to the people when we're supposed to be the People's Party, encourages people to progressives to run against incumbents, stumps for progressive um, challengers all across the country and popularizes and legitimizes a, a third party, identifies as a third party and legitimizes it. Now, that might also be a fantasy. That may be a very tall order as well. But I think that is that's the idea. I think... Can I just ask a question? Sure. Sure, Katie. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Well, I have a no, question. Go ahead, Katie. response to that. Um, but, but, okay, but Jay, I have a question for you. Like, do you, and this is not a gotcha, this is a sincere question. Like, do you think Afini's wasting her time with Michaela's campaign? Yes, I do. She knows all, she knows, we've, we've talked, we've all talked to her about all this in the background. I do. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, see, I'm the guy that brings the, I'm, I'm the guy that brings the bad news, but I'm a person that don't mind bringing the bad news. This is not working, everybody. This is terrible. Stop. Let's stop this yeah. process. We're not going to get somebody in. You, you guys think, I mean, not you guys, everyone thinks, or to the people that are thinking, we're going to get one person in to destroy all the terrible people. Are, I mean, are we, are we being serious? Do you understand but the I... depths of corruption that's here? You, you just think that somebody. Oh, can I play devil's advocate kind of to help with Jay's point here? Sure. Um, so let's say, you know, because I do feel like Dems will probably lose, you know, some of these seats, but, you know, like even in the scenario, people were saying, oh, you want Trump to win if you said anything against Biden. And I would sometimes make the argument that, well, when Trump is in, people are in the streets, people yeah. are doing pro bono legal work, people mm -hmm. are, you know, actually paying attention and holding people accountable and keeping that pressure. And maybe we could really actually have the movement we need in the street. If we, you know what I'm saying? Um, mm -hmm. not, of course, I'm not saying I want some Republicans in. But I yeah, I think there's a really strong argument that progressives being in Congress legitimizes the system. You know, I I had the great honor of having Lonnie Guineer my one year in law school, and she taught a class called Law and Social Movements. And it was the year Obama was elected. You know, it was like a month after Obama was elected or a couple months after. And I remember her saying that that's what Obama's purpose was, which was a very bold thing to say on Harvard's campus right after Obama had been elected and the country was so excited for him, right? And yeah. here's this black law professor basically saying that he's a token and that we should all be wary of what he's going to be able to shepherd in because he's, mm -hmm. he's cloaked in, you know, as a progressive and as a black man. Mm -hmm. And she, of course, was entirely right. And I remember kind of 
rolling my eyes at her and thinking she was overly cynical, but she was entirely right. And I think that is a real risk, especially since now, I think someone pointed this out after the last stream, most of AOC's donations and stuff, they're not coming from progressives anymore. They're coming from the liberals who love her because she's <laughs> young and Latina and pretty. And like, she's all those things, but it's yeah. not, you know, she's not, she's not ours. It's not that there was any accountability that we had because we were the ones that supported her and got her in office and, not, and knocked the doors from for her. She's a Frankenstein that's now way bigger and more powerful than the left. The DSA can't control her. Nobody can control her. The DSA could kick her out and it wouldn't matter. Like nobody would care, you know? You see how um, Brie, uh, you see how we don't have anything to look, just look at, just look at, she's the most leftist person in Congress. This is what we have to look towards for any other candidate. Yeah, let's, let's so, hear from, let's hear from Eric. What do you have to say to that? So um, one quick thing, what I would say is that I actually think if it came to it, like you said, AOC is above the, I think the DSA should take that. If they wanted to, they see it, kick kick AOC out, kick AOC out. The reason why I say certain things like that is uh, I kind of hate the term because I think it gets, there are, it's very like hard for me to explain how I view it, but. I am a certain level of an accelerationist. Mm. And because I just view the world as, if you look at, to me, the way I look at it, if you ever look at any, like, if you look at the Great Depression and Mm. what it took to get out of the Great Depression, the Great Depression to me was caused by, you know, a large uh, level of uh, income inequality, you know, the elites doing what they're doing that led to this very hard period of time, which people had to go through that, which gave us the New Deal. Mm-hmm. which obviously didn't go far enough. So to me, I just think that we need to do things like I think Democrats running and then changing, like, I don't like this party and running as independent, trying to win. I think I think you should always should try to win. If you run as independent general or third party, you should always go to try to win. But if you cause the Democrats to lose, then you cause them to lose. And you have to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. You have to keep doing that. And the consequences of that, obviously, is you're going to have a whole bunch of Republicans in. And those Republicans are probably going to do horrible, horrible things. Mm. And who knows what's going to come out of those horrible things, but hopefully people will get, because I also sometimes feel like we take so much, I know it's hard because, you know, people are, you know, people are subject to the media, they're, they're conditioned to certain things. So you got to be careful how much blame you put on them. But I do believe we got to add some blame to voters. I do believe there isn't a level of, ability that we need to hold to these people likely voters obviously if you're a likely voter and you understand that you don't like what you're seeing and you keep doing what you're doing you have to come to a point where you're maybe be part of the problem maybe what right, you're consuming. But, but eric you and i sitting here as we do and we are saying like these likely voters are pissing us off you know, all these effing Dems, you know, like we all agree that that's, we're all frustrated, but us sitting here and feeling that way doesn't change their minds. At the end of the day, it's going to be on us to get the message out and explain why this vote blue, no matter who is is so toxic. No. And sometimes, you know, like, uh, listen, I, I, I'm, my dad's from Guyana, so I'm half Caribbean. And one of the sayings that they have is if you don't, so I don't, if you don't hear, you feel. Mm. So I'm like, we, we have to, do, uh, like, I don't want to ever get to this point. I hope it could be, we could do it more easier, less, you know, uh, 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 that will cause the least amount of pain. But I feel like sometimes 
as Americans, we learn more from feeling Corporal punishment. Than we do. Punishment. <laughs> I don't want that to be the more case. More sticks than all right. Thank you for that, Eric. Let's get Thank through you, some no more. Problem. Let's get through some more callers. I appreciate that, Eric. Okay. Uh, Gabrielle, what do you make of all of this? Hello. Um, in the spirit of full disclosure, I'm French Canadian, but also you my- You won't mother... hold it against you. <laughs> all <laughs> welcome here. But also in the spirit, also my mother is from Egypt, so I'm more African than all of you. That was a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Mon dieu. Okay, Gabrielle. You. You, have, right. you have not set yourself up. <laughs> necessarily but but what's what's on your mind all right so i think that what pissed off people about the williamson um, episode that you did is that you had no people from a third party and if you've listened to your podcast with professor wolf who has like a french mother and a father from uh, germany like he's really aware of politics european politics and I can speak for myself too. And in Canada, like having a third party, is it makes all the difference in the world. So therefore, if you had like at least some third party candidates in your show with Williamson, it would have made the a big difference because once you have a third party, like it pushes the right wing party to their uh, at least a third party to the left of, of yours parties which are ridiculously to the right to the right you need to at least uh, have some pull to the left uh, for instance like we have like in canada we have a universal healthcare system because we have a third party even though it was never elected mm-hmm so that's the thing. Like, it, Gabrielle, what do you think of the fact that there? I mean, I think that's a perfectly legitimate criticism. And you know, if I were putting together a list of candidates I wanted to talk to, undoubtedly there would be some third-party candidates among them. I, I, I don't actually even know if there are or are not third-party candidates on the seize the house website, right? We that was like a small fraction of the total number of people there. I literally don't know. But what I do know is that several of the candidates that we did interview that night had previously run third party before and had opted to do something differently because it was so ineffective. And what do you make of them talking about that choice? Okay, well, Professor Wolf said it better than, my, better than me, like, better than I would ever do. The thing is, if you have, like, let's say AOC, she's a justice Democrat. She was supposed to be elected as a Democrat because it, it's easier this way, and then create another third party. And then create some momentum and pull other party, pull other members to that party, or some create something to the left. But that's not what's happening here. So you need to elect some people as a third party or independent, and then create some pressure on AOC and Cory Bush and so forth. That's the most viable theory and change I can see right now. And you need to push that movement. You. Like we tried, we you I, I, like you tried to push people like Cory Bush in the Democratic Party. The first speech she did in the House was to impeach Trump because he was the best representative of the white supremacists. In what way, shape, or form that would that help the condition of the American people? It makes no sense whatsoever, and they instrumentalized her. I mean, Pelosi instrumentalized her to to create like a, a second failed 
impeachment mm-hmm. and wasted a lot of precious time because right now as you said the the squad has the uh, swing votes in the house and they're mm-hmm. not doing what they're supposed to do it's really embarrassing and that the idea of just pushing people um in the democratic party as if they're going to change it even though you have the best possible like on on paper curry bush was the the best thing ever yeah no i hear you gabrielle <laughs> so for people on the panel too is there a third party candidate do you have some third party candidates in mind um who are running for seats that people should know about no i don't but i mean they sh- what <laughs> that's not a good excuse from your part then sir no, it's not an excuse I, i'm asking that's not a gotcha like i'm asking if people have people in mind that we should be focusing on because i would be happy to bring them on the show and talk to them um no, or were we just talking in the abstract about third third party candidates without because i i am i'm I am legitimately curious I mean, I mean there have been these green party candidates like um our friend in new york whose name just flew out of my brain you know um black gay really sweet Jabari, Jabari Brisport, yeah. So like, there's people like Jabari Brisport who come along, and I get very excited about. And he was, you know, successful. And you know, when they happen, I see them, and I tend to want to elevate them. Right? Jabari Brisport was on the first episode ever of Bad Faith Podcast. But I, I, I don't, you know, I would, I would love to see. I mean, and I, and I think that we should definitely do a panel that elevates third-party candidates, but it does seem to me that also it's a little bit of a numbers game and that there are just fewer that are running. Yeah, well, I mean, I, what do you think? Com- uh, Jay, do you have any? Uh, sorry, can yeah, you- I, I think I have a unique perspective. I'm actually trying to, I've been attempting to put together a third-party summit together, mm-hmm. and it's been very tough because it's very hard to even find <laughs> Uh, third-party candidates but because i've been doing this i, I do have a bunch of candidates um that would be good jose cortez is one of them ryan knight brought him on okay recently uh delilah uh is running green party in texas as governor um uh daniel wilson i mean it's, it's, a, it's just and it's just for different different levels some are running for assembly some are running mm-hmm. for controller there's Jason K is running for Congress in California's fourth district. I know him because he's I've had him on the show a couple of times. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good candidates and I and I have this I had the same critique and I think JB um, uh, JB also had the same critique when about the siege the house was that if there was third parties on there I don't think I think uh, it would have been better but clearly there was it wasn't specifically for democrats and um yeah everybody on the website went and checked everybody on the website is running as democrats and i felt like that was strategic like you're trying you you know the democrats are hated by the people who would vote for the candidates they're talking about so you purposely leave out the word democrat it's literally not anywhere on the website not anywhere on, on the fire no you have to click on the person <laughs> find the person then google the person no, like they don't need to have it no i just went through it's all on the candidates websites because i just did a little straw poll as well and clicked through to see who was a democrat and who wasn't and it's it was very easy for me to identify them all as democrats yeah so you know if you're going to say non-corporate candidates why can't green party i mean it's it's a rhetorical question i know the answer to it um 
but yeah, no, I, you that, don't that know is the a answer to it, have. though. Like, I, I would say that, I mean, I wasn't a part of the selection process, but I would be very surprised if it's, you know, some st- st- strategic choice to keep third party candidates out. I think the same think, struggle that really? we had, Jay. When no one's on there, that'll be like saying Jay, if there's no black the, people in something, if there's no black Jay, people on something, are we going to say it's not a strategic plan to keep black people out? I don't think that's a really a, Jay, the, I, I don't get that. So you just finished telling me, Jay, that you struggled to put together a third party panel, correct? I did. Okay, and I'm telling you, I'm going to add to that anecdote. I've been trying to put together a panel with the leadership of three third, the Green Party, MPP, mm-hmm. and um, Forward for weeks, and it has been a real struggle bus. I have tried over and over and over again to get, in particular, MPP people to. I mean, I don't want to. It's not about. It's not. Yeah, a problem I, with get, MPP, I get. That it's, it's a, it's yeah, I get that It's a struggle. One. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm not trying to alienate anybody or throw anybody under the bus, but it's a struggle. So, look. If you, if you say you should have a third-party panel and we decline to support third-party candidates, have at it. But I don't think it's particularly useful to pretend like this is an affi- supporting okay. a candidate like Michaela Wilkes or Olivia um, – sorry, Christina Olivo or Rebecca Parsons is like some nefarious – act like that's the part of it that i think was is a bad no, degree no it's not it's not a nefarious act to have those candidates what's nefarious is that you're not telling us that it's democrat not you but the well, person who put it together the person well, who put it together but, but 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 hold, hang on a second brie the last thing the last point i want to make is this us not being able to locate third-party candidates the democratic party being as awful as they are it's, 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 it's like staring all of us right in the face. Electoral politics is done. We're not getting anything done through electoral politics. It's staring us right in the face, but we're refusing to accept that as a movement because there's some of us who don't want to be in the streets doing the work. That's, that's, that's literally what's happening here is that if people that don't want to take it there yet, so let's beat this dead horse some more. And I'm here, and I think RBN is here to say, let's to shake everybody awake. This is over. This can is I over. Add, can I so add what, just another I, angle of attack to this? Can I like, just ask a question? Well, let, let's, I want Katie to have a chance to okay, respond. Like, so I hear you about being in the streets, but... I mean, one of the issues that's really important for me is Israel-Palestine, and we're not, like, nearly close enough on where we should be there. But, like, let's say we all go onto the streets and protest about Israel's treatment of Palestine, then what happens? Like, what's the, what that, like, domestic issues are a little different, but for foreign policy issues, like, we're in the streets, and then what happens? How does that translate into changing the reality for Israel, for Palestinians. Katie, are you saying there has to be someone to push left? Like if yeah, FDR says, make me do it, that there has to be someone that's at all susceptible to being pushed? Yeah, because we live in a world where like, yeah, it sucks how, how powerful the system is, but it is powerful. And if you want, like the U.S. has so much power that just it, anything that it does has like disproportionate, has these ripple effects. And I think we can't do it without having people on the street. But you need both of those because if not, you're just having people on the street and that's great. But what, especially with foreign policy, which really requires uh, political action, I just don't see, you need to have the people who are then going to be pushed and saying, 
we're not giving aid to Israel or we're not going to we're going to reinstate this aid to UNRWA, uh, you know, the UN Refugees uh, Association. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so the other I, thing is, I just want to say one thing is that I voted for Nader twice. I had Jabari Brisport on my show. I had a fundraiser for Jabari Brisport. I had Shama Swant on my show and I did a fundraiser for her. So I'm not like I'm not blind to the power and significance of people who are outside of the duopoly. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that we couldn't find congressional candidates speaks to the structural op- obstacles that are mm-hmm. faced by people who want to run. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the structural obstacles on for Israel-Palestine problem. Voting, sure. no voting, no amount of voting can take care of that specific issue. None. Because the president can unilaterally do whatever he wants to do with foreign policy. Let me ask so you this there, about... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Can I make this point? Like... So, so, so that particular issue to me, and now when I say get into the streets, that's an expression I use. It doesn't necessarily mean physically being protested. What I mean is a general strike. And then with a general strike, all of these are, will be all of the demands, including the issue of Israel, Palestine, including there is no, there's not any other way to affect change through foreign policy than direct action or some sort of movement. There is not any other way because you can't get that through voting. Not even through the duopoly can you get that, a way of making that change. I, I want to get to just a, a few more callers. Thank you, Gabrielle, for weighing in. Let's hear from Frank. What's on your mind, Frank? What do you make of all of this? Uh, unmute yourself with the mic in the bottom right-hand corner, Frank, so we can hear you. Frank, you're going to have to press that little oh, mic. There all right. you go. Can you hear me now? I can. What's on your mind? Okay, terrific. Um, lively call-in. Uh, I'd <laughs> like to react to a, to a few things if you don't mind. One reflection. There were 400,000 people supposedly in the streets in the famous climate march. I was there, my daughter was there, my wife was there. And I said to myself afterwards, there was no homework given to those 400,000 people. Mm. Uh, Bill McKibben, Naomi Klein, etc. didn't have a strategy that said after this, this is what's going to happen over a period of time in order to effectuate change. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to reflect on that. For one, I'm from the for the last 50 years from the George Carlin School of Community Organizing and Political Activism and Government. Mm. And he famously said uh, that governments, and you can slash parentheses, parties, don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. That's against their interests. And what I find even currently in the last three years where I've been trying uh, to oust a particular congressman that has been opposed to Medicare for All by going to town hall meetings, by meeting with his staff, by calling in uh, Physicians for National Health Program uh, to meet with staff, uh, showing him a particular uh, appeal that I had to make on a personal level for a family member and fought for a year and a half against United Healthcare. Um, showing him uh, research reports dating back to 1990, all indicating that Medicare for All is the way to go from every particular vantage point. So my thing has always been 
informing people. I want citizens, people in the community to know as much or more than I do on any particular subject. And every single time I do that, including yesterday at a Verizon office, switching cell phone carriers, um, and that's a time-consuming process, and we had to wait here and there. Those four people that I spoke to just ate it up, loved information Mm. that would empower them to act. So let me give you a piece of information which has boggled my mind uh, for quite a long time. Bernie Sanders, uh, in either 2016 or 2017, had something called uh, Options to Finance Medicare for All. Mm -hmm. He's never really pushed it. He has put it on and taken it off his Senate website. If you go there now, and I just checked about 20 minutes ago, just to make sure, under issues, and if you go to healthcare and you Medicare, no, actually it reads Medicare for All, it talks about, you know, what it is. And then towards the bottom, it has, please read my financing paper. Well, if you click on that, it goes nowhere. On a webinar run by National Nurses United with one of their top organizers, Max Cotterell, I was given the opportunity to ask a question. And the question went like this. There have been five recent studies the Perry Report, Political Action Research Institute that did Bernie's paper, Dr. Gerald Friedman um, that did the uh, House paper, the Conyers and then the Pramila Jayabal, the Lancet-Yale study. And if you look at across all five and you do the math, they came up with an average, an average of $900 billion extra money would be needed after... Uh, holding harm, you know, maintaining Medicaid, Medicare, Child Health Plus, all that good stuff, doing the stuff on uh, negotiation pharmaceuticals, getting the um, insurance companies uh, for profit out of the picture, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You still needed $900 billion. His first two proposals, first two options, of that, uh, uh, that um, of the financing options, which amounted to about twelve different ones, came up to eighty-five percent of the nine hundred billion. How mm-hmm. did it work? If I may, the first one was four percent. Could be four point five. Could be five. Whatever. Other countries do this. A four percent health-related tax on household income minus your uh, standard deduction. So if if your income was only standard deduction, if... Frank, I I don't mean to interrupt, but I I do want to make sure that we are kind of keeping not, you know, I don't want us to spend a lot of time on this because there's a kind of a robust ongoing conversation about it that people have come here for for the specific issue. And this is very informative. The specific issue, if I can relate it, is Fenny, before she left the discussion, she said, what do we add to the formula? And what I'm suggesting very strongly is that what's added to the formula is information, informing and educating citizens so that when they confront and try to hold their congresspeople or whoever elected officials accountable, they do that empowered with information and education, and they leave nothing up to chance. Whatever the person says, elected official or candidate, that doesn't make sense. 
they're there in the audience with the knowledge and the information to say, excuse me, you're wrong. Excuse me, you're not informing everybody in the right way. Excuse me, you're lying. So yeah, I, I think that's to- I think that's right. And I think that's an, an important point. And it's a little bit of what we were talking about before about the relative merits of using electoral campaigns to get that kind of information out. I know personally, you know, if not for, you know, I was doing a, I was doing a a pre-interview for a cable news show that was going to have me on to talk about the status of black Americans today. And I ended up getting cut because my answers were too much about Joe Biden, apparently. And I asked them, well, what do you want me to, how do you want me to respond in any way that's meaningful without talking about the structures that are responsible for these problems? And they basically wanted me to tell anecdotes about like my personal discrimination and whether like my boss ever asked to touch my hair or some shit like that. Right. And I was like, well, no, Biden promised X, Y, and Z and he hasn't delivered George Floyd, whatever it is. And so I think that part of me wanted to just lie and get on the program because to me, getting on cable TV and being able to say a couple of true things about what's possible. Joe Biden has the authority to cancel student debt. Joe Biden has the authority to expand Medicare through executive order. All of these kinds of things, just putting that out there for even for a second is useful. But it's difficult for me, other than infiltrating daytime TV, like I almost managed to do, how people can really get that message given how leftists are blocked from mainstream channels. And pol- you know, electoral campaigns are one of the few avenues that seem to be well built for that. Afini's back, so let's let's maybe go to you for that. What what do you think about electoral politics as a messaging tool? Um, you know, I definitely think that if some of these politicians that had like bigger platforms would advocate for you know more radical direct action or if they'd use their email lists and their text messages to you know say hey here's this legislation that we're trying to push through it's to help working families it's we're trying to push through reparations i don't know the same way that y'all text me every couple months for a fundraising text is the same way you could text me and say Mm -hmm. go to your state capital at this time we're organizing a national protest we Mm -hmm. like but they're not doing that so i mean if if they actually use their platform as a bully pulpit it could be more effective, but I feel like now because of like all the lip service that's been paid, but like no real action behind that, I think that the messaging power of electoral politics has very much diminished, like mm-hmm. for, you know, a lot of people that aren't, you know, necessarily involved in the voting process. And, you know, I, you know, I hear all day, like people feel like I'm wasting my time working on this campaign. At the end of the day, I feel like sometimes I feel like all of these people that, you know, are activists and organizers that go to Congress, I feel like they're wasting their time because, you know, what if you, you will get muzzled, you will get silenced. This is a white supremacist country. And if they're not going to use, again, your platform to actually organize, then you are wasting your time. So why do you do it, Afini? I don't mean that in a challenging way. I mean it as a, as a person who participated in this live stream on Wednesday because I feel a pull that is perhaps similar to the pull that has made you want to work for um, Michaela? Um, Honestly, it's because, you know, as an organizer, like just being in the spaces that I've been in, like, and maybe because I do live in DC, but it's just like, I would rather be doing something, even if it's marginal with my bigger plan in mind, Mm -hmm. than just not doing anything at all. And it's like, Working for Michaela is just one piece of my organizing. And it's just one piece. It's just one 
part of the experience that I have as an organizer. But at the end of the day, like, like I said, I think I do, I do genuinely think that, you know, she's better than Steny Hoyer. Mm-hmm. I mean, but again, if she gets into Congress and he, she gets silenced, then that for like that for me will really break my heart because Michaela is a fantastic actress and she's a fantastic organizer. Like she's an anti, she's anti-war. She's very, like, she is very much to the left. And so, you know, in my perfect dream scenario, I would love if, you know, her, Nina, you know, and a couple of other, these other progressives got into, got into Congress and did what Justin Amash did when he didn't agree with the Republican party uh-huh. and left. Mm-hmm. And went and took some of the political po- power to do that. But, I mean, me personally, I'm not going to sit up here and say that I see a path to that happening anytime soon. Like, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Why do you think that Michaela, and I don't mean to ask you to speak for her, but this is a question for all of the candidates. I think a lot of us would agree that there are things that you could spend time on that might certainly have more material effect, even if it's on a more local level. And there's not as much broader power and influence, whether that's working, you know, doing mutual aid or working for some kind of local organization or running for local politics. Why do you think it is or has Michaela said why she wants to run for Congress instead of doing some of the kinds of things that Jay might advocate for and that you also advocate for? So, I mean, I'm I can't I'm not going to sit up here and speak for Michaela, but just my assessment of the situation is, is Michaela has two children. She's a single mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she works two jobs. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, like organizing is really a privilege. The mm-hmm. reason why I take these like nonprofit jobs is because I get paid and mm-hmm. I can still spend about 60 percent of my time in the streets. I can still spend other I can still spend time, you know, organizing in different spaces for more radical causes like that's the I feel like that's the privilege that you know you have to have the time and the capacity for that mm-hmm. so See, if you know, I, I said think- this on the last episode and I think that people might have even taken it as a shade but it's I think it's real that people want people need a degree of stability organizing is not stable and it's very hard and people need health insurance and that's kind of the catch-22 but I think a lot of people who really do care and have been invested in this work you know Cory Bush sleeping in her car now she's got a $175,000 salary. It's not, you know, it's not like corruption, corruption, but that's a kind of soft, like, I'm not mad at her for not wanting to go sleep in her car again. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that also, to Jay's point, means something about the ultimate, um, you know, lack of um, the power that you're ever going to get from these people. The ultimate lack of assertiveness you're going to get from people who actually need those jobs. In some ways, FDR being a millionaire, <laughs> coming, you know, being a Rockefeller, you know, uh, Roosevelt uh, is perhaps freeing in some sick, perverse way. I don't know. Like, don't take that too far. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Like, financial freedom in this country is freedom. It's freedom. Like, that's how you can truly be free with yourself and with, and, you know, your mobility and all that stuff. So I definitely, I definitely agree with that. And I, I don't. I mean, I don't really see Michaela getting into Congress and staying there. Like, she's made it very clear over and over again that she does not want to be a career politician. There are there are things that she wants to accomplish when she gets there and that she wants to get out. So, I mean, I guess it really just depends on what your goal is. Like, I know AOC never explicitly said that she only wanted to be a one-term congressperson, but she did. She did. Say that she, no, she said that well, she she'd rather be one. It. Yeah, she yeah. said she'd be willing to do it, but she never said, like, I'm not trying to do this for 20 years. Like, that yeah. never came out of her mouth. Michaela openly says, like, I'm not trying to be a politician. Like, that's 
That's mm. not what I'm doing this for. I'm doing this to be so I can be a public servant, so I can organize and fight for the people in my district that, you know, I represent. And she's a formerly incarcerated person as well. So, mm-hmm. like, I just feel like, you know, unfortunately, I wish, I really wish there was more of an opening in Maryland, especially for her to run, to run third party. But Maryland is still a red state. So, imagine, like, it's a very, very, very closed and hard process for any other candidate other than a Democrat or Republican to run in Maryland. Um, and like, you know, Bri already said, like, if you don't have $100,000 to just blow, yeah. <laughs> then you cannot just, you cannot spend your time trying to fight the close, like the close primary establishment. Now, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just really think that people see like organizers and and all that stuff and like there are people like Rome who are lucky enough to like crowdfund for the most part and like you know have like and have that support but that's still a support system a privilege that many organizers do not have you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying mm-hmm. so it's just people I feel like like we need to take that into account like when we actually build dual power systems that are sustainable where mm-hmm. it's not you know just an Afeni just a Rome just a Michaela organizing and doing this work and it's actual like sustainable groups of people that are consistently coming out and contributing to this work then we can start talking about you know having people do all like doing all this other stuff but like I really think at this point like the best thing that all these talking heads that are at the top of the left can do at this point is actually stand in solidarity with the people that actually want to do direct action because without mm-hmm. a social movement None of our policies are going to get through anyway. Yeah. And I, I know that I could do a better job with that. And I'm, I'm grateful to have you on before, Afeni. And I want you and the other folks at um, RBN to come on more as well. I will say that for me, ultimately, the decision to participate was me looking at a candidate like Christine or Rebecca and looking at the fact that they're not very well resourced and looking at the fact that they're trying something. And me being in the position that I'm in where the only thing I can offer is a platform and saying, like, why wouldn't I try to help you? It costs me nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like, why not? Why not? And, and, and someone like Jay, Jay, you might say, well, the reason why not is because you're ultimately distracting people from what they should be doing or you are sheepdogging people back into the Democratic Party or giving them false hope that there you know, is something to be made I wouldn't here. Say and maybe any that's of that. true. I wouldn't say any of that. I would say just look at what we're talking about now because of this. So I would say do it. Because the conversation, we've been in the background, we all, oh, no Democrats, no com- no Democrats. But until this happened, l- look at the conversation. The Vanguard did something on it. The uh, Combo Couch did something on it. So I, I see it as a good thing to even be here having this conversation, um, you know, with somebody like Katie, somebody like you, Brie. Having this conversation is important because to me, this is campaigning for my position to get off of uh, the Demo- get off this duopoly train. So I'm campaigning, and I think we should do that. I'm all for the campaigning idea, and we've talked about this. I'm all for the campaigning idea, but the campaign but should be, let me explain what's happening with the duopoly in this system and why you should join the general strike. That should be what the campaign should be around. Yeah, and Jay, I got to say, it very much frustrates me how much most of the left media 
sphere is unwilling to have a conversation about yeah. general strikes or, you know, allude to them in the least without being called a dumb, dumb leftist. And I, I, I too share a level of skepticism with people who will support candidates, left candidates, but refuse to have any other, uh, have any of these kind of systemic conversations, the likes of which I think are very necessary. Thank you so much for your insight, Frank, and for being so active and working so hard on your community. Let's get through just a couple more callers and try to wrap this up under the two hour mark. Um, mostly because I have to tinkle a little bit. Wyatt, unmute yourself. Unless... I just I'm sorry. I just want to compliment Afini's voice. Like, I mean, not just the content, but you have, Afini, you should really have a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, when I was in the military, I was like a public broadcaster, so I was a radio show host um, mm. in the military. I was actually just an American <laughs> propagandist, really, but I did, I did it a little bit. You're very MC Light-ish, if you ever heard her do her show. You sound very much like her, like, and I love her. Oh, thanks, guys. I love all y'all, too. Yeah. And I, let um, me say this. Can I say this, Bree? Sure. I, I'm a very passionate, fiery person. But I don't want that fire to be misconstrued, because there's people that were in the comments for my stream. My fire is not misconstrued to mean anything other than the topic that we're talking about. It's not... Any personal thing about, um, you know, Crystal or, or Katie or you, Brie, um, is just, I, you know, I feel passionate about this. And um, I've had these conversations with Afini, for example, in the background, like people are dying. Yeah, people no, are dying. I, like we can't, we can't, we cannot. People are dying. Yeah, and I understand that. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation today because I certainly didn't take it that way. But I do want to get through a couple of more callers. So Wyatt, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. I want to have respect for this long queue. I told people we're doing the second show in park because so many people had things to say in the last one. And then we barely taken many callers. So Wyatt? Yeah. Um, hello. So this conversation kind of has me really confused because um, I've always kind of supported the Democratic Party. And I'm fairly young, so... You know, during the 2016 campaign, I was in high school and I was really disconnected from politics, whatever. But um, in the 18 cycle, um, I really came around to Bernie and uh, enjoyed him. And now I'm, I feel even more radical than that as I've progressed. Like, I feel like I've matured in my views um, a little bit more. But this conversation just has me confused because, like, I'm in Oklahoma, so understanding here is like we don't have third parties on the ballot at all like mm -hmm. maybe the libertarian party um like we have a senate candidate for the libertarian party like every now and then mm -hmm. but like there's just no third party action in oklahoma at all we have like dsa chapters we have socialist organizations but as um and we have uh like a black lives matter organizations but the most they can muster up is like you know they'll get a news article, you know, every two months because they're at the state capitol, you know, just causing trouble. And I support them and all that, but it's really, there. it's nothing. There's no material changes in Oklahoma ever happening or occurring on the ballot or around the ballot. So I really am, I think I'm, I think we should invest in progressives um, in the Democratic Party because people, I've, I work at Amazon, and so, like, I can ask people at Amazon, like, what's a Democrat, what's a Republican? They cannot tell you the difference. It's just, like, mm -hmm. all, like, 
people are so disconnected. There is none, yeah. But people are just so disconnected from politics. They'll be like, oh, I didn't learn that in school or something. Mm -hmm. And they really see politics as like something for the educated. So I feel like, you know, we can work with the progressives, but also have like um, people on the ground working with the people who are very disconnected and just want, you know, some relief. (laughs) Courtney, aren't you, are you in Iowa? Am I making that up? No, we're in Virginia. Why did I think that you were, okay, anyway, you're in a, you're in a red. (laughs) Iowa too, lovers. But why, I, I um, kind of understand what why it's saying because we felt that very conflicted too because we had just moved from LA where we had a bunch of third party options, and during the Virginia governor's race, even though the Democrats didn't even try to get our vote, we still felt like we knew what we were voting against in voting against Yunkins, and of course, and our mom like totally pressured us. Um, <laughs> she said she was going to kick us out of the house if we didn't vote for the Democrats. So. That's just a real world pressure sometimes. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think like what I would say to that, why is kind of like what we've all been touching on. He touched on, too, is like if if you can connect to a movement more, like get that energy more connected to a direct action, because I mean, I I hate to say and like I, I wanted to tie this into what Katie was saying as well about Israel and Palestine. Let's be real, uh, like about what direct action is going to do and what about electoralism is going to do, because if we take an example like Black Lives Matter. Last summer, there were all of these protests in the streets, the biggest. They mm-hmm. were international. And we all said, oh, you know, and people were saying, well, let's vote for the guy who can at least be pushed left. Mm-hmm. Pushed left. He's, t- right. he's giving more money to the police, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like right now, I don't think that we even have good enough arguments against either. So that's why I'm open to pursuing both. But I think just as a poor person, like I don't have any money. I'm on Medicaid, like. You know, I live in my parents' house. Like for me, the little bit of money I have, I want to put that to a mutual aid or put my time towards volunteering in my community. Mm -hmm. But I don't have a problem voting for a Democrat if, you know, because I'm going to take the time. I'm going to learn now what I can. But, yeah, I mean, there really isn't that much difference. But I think, you know, the the work you can do in your local community, that's going to make the real difference, honestly. And I think the caller who just uh, the gentleman who said he was trying to convince people in his town halls and stuff. He was explaining about the information gap. I think that's real, especially when he was talking about how all these people were in the street for the climate protest, and then they were given no next step. Some of the most meaningful kind of uh, public speeches, protests I've been to was when Bernie would be able to give a speech in a place where they, where you could register people at the polls and then vote early. And so you have a big crowd, a Bernie crowd, and then you march down the street through the, the town center to the polling booth. And everybody who's there literally registers and votes right then and there, you know, or people who have clipboards and sign you up to do X, Y, and Z, like people who are re- registering you to, to, to vote or whatever at the rallies or asking you to come and sign up, go to some subsequent event. I think but that's the, a little yeah, that's- go ahead. The great thing about that, too, though, is that you didn't always have to feel like necessarily it was just about Bernie. You were like, this is for healthcare. Mm-hmm. This is for climate, you know. So I think like if you if you have people in your town who can't get behind the electoralism, you know, if there's like, a, you know, the way the thing that made Bernie so great is it wasn't about him. There were these movements about it. And so if we could find a way to attach those two. I mean, the Democratic Party, unfortunately, I don't see how we can attach it to them because it doesn't seem like they really believe in it. Um, but some of these other people running, like, I think the movement part of it is what will reach people more than the. Yeah. And why it, it resonates with me because I hear people say this all the time. And I, as a non organizer feel this too, it's this weird, like, 
I care so much about stuff. I'm bumping up against people all the time who could care, but don't know. Is it like, what's my lane? Like, what's my job? Like, how much is it appropriate for me to be evangelizing at my workplace? How much should I be going up and down the halls of my apartment building, knocking on doors and passing out for any place? You know, I'm not a quote unquote organizer. And I think a lot of people feel like unsure about their entitlement or how appropriate right. it is for them I to I mean, act. I try at work to, you know, at least I try on the very minimal, like to ask like very cautiously and I, there's no reception to it. And so like, I, I get the point what you're talking about. Yeah, and it feels like organizations help you at least feel empowered to say, okay, we're doing this together. We're tabling together. I'm not just some weird freak out here Mm -hmm. (laughs) who's, like, crazy (laughs) obsessed with healthcare. Um, Right. And I have some experience with, like, an empty movement. I was a part of the 2018 teacher strikes in Oklahoma. Mm. Um, We striked for two weeks um, for more funding to our classrooms, higher teacher pays, um, stuff like that. And we were at the Capitol for two weeks and there was like nothing behind it. Um, we had the union president that was, you know, negotiating the terms, but uh, like teachers could say what they wanted, but the strike ended and nobody really knew what we got. Nobody really knew what we would do. You know, some teachers registered um, to run for office and be the change, but they ran as Democrats. Uh, the Republicans had like a 70 seat majority in Oklahoma. Mm in our house and like a 30 seat majority in our Senate. Mm. And so like, (laughs) there's like definitely that stuff happening. It's just, um, I feel like the leadership behind some of these movements are mostly uh, egotistical people who are worried about filling out their CVs and worried about their next steps. Even in our own progressive movement, we say like that's with the establishments. I see this behavior in our progressive and our revolutionary movements it's mm-hmm. egotistical people who just want to worry about their next step and who likes them and who doesn't and like i'm done with it yeah i hear you Wyatt. thank you for for calling in that was that was really um important perspective can i just add one thing that to because i know afini's here and i um just to clarify something mm-hmm. uh i wasn't on the call someone told me you said this so i may be paraphrasing but I know that you said very charitably that you loved me, Afini, but you disagreed with me about something I said about political education. Um, And I just wanted to clarify when I think you were referring to something I said on the stream, but I wasn't saying like you or um, like Jay or Nick had to be politically educated. I was talking about how I thought that like we need to be, there are all these people who are closed off from third party voters and they need to be reached and educated, just to clarify. I don't know. Oh, no, no. I definitely didn't think that you were talking about us per se. I mean, like people that are closest to politics, like we are like, of course, we know what's going on. But I'm just saying for the general public, you know, I don't know, like we have two years in between each one of these like like, you know, important elections, whether it's midterms, presidential, or whatever, right? And I feel like in that time frame, I feel like we spend so much time kind of arguing with each other in fighting when we could be organized when we could be talking about the messaging of like here's how we like direct action mutual aid building community like building uh dual power in your community these are this is the bridge to the better world these are not things that we should that we should have to do for years upon years upon years for decades and decades but this is something these are actions that we need to participate in until they listen to us electoral politics is one of the pillars 
of one of the many strat the political strategies that we have. So, I mean, when the reason why it bothered me is because just like I feel like we all like we all know, but because we all spend our time doing other things outside of actually organizing for the things that you know we all say that we care about, then that's how I feel like we've just we've wasted time when we could be messaging around like withhold your vote black people period right if you like if you um you know if you're not satisfied with the democratic party is has taken you if you're not satisfied with being the reason why they keep getting elected then withhold your vote until they actually give you what the fuck you asked for you know like yeah, yeah. Like different things like that you know can but I even that right like Go ahead, Katie. I can go after you. I just wanted to oh, no. speak to that point. That, I guess to me, that's part of the, the education that I'm talking about, which doesn't mean it has to take forever, but even to implement that requires some. So, we, I mean, I guess we're, we're agreeing, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I guess it was just the context in which it was said. Like, I remember because um, it was right before, like, Michael Ortega, I believe, came on. And it was just the context that it was said because it just seemed like, it's like I like I feel like people could understand these concepts because they can understand that their life has not fundamentally gotten better at mm-hmm. all. They can understand their yeah. wages are not raised mm-hmm. at all. Like they can feel that. So like if I I feel like if we start having conversations about people's everyday lives and not just theorizing about what it looks like to, you know, get right. to our policies or whatever, like but actually talking to people, actually going out and canvassing and stuff like that or encouraging our audiences to do that. Um, I think that that's a way, I just think that's a way more useful amount of, way better use of our time than constantly trying to push people only into electoral politics when there are just so many other things that, you know, we could be doing. Like, look at the Yellow Vest movement. Like, that is a part of their strategy to get with the things that they want is to go outside and fuck shit up in France. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm fascinated by the to be a part of the strategy, you know. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the idea of a don't vote door knocking campaign. Oh, the libs would be so mad. Uh, <laughs> like a withhold your funny. vote door knocking. We have to use whatever <laughs> we have. I like. <laughs> but let me let me make just one point, and I think it's Athene is kind of touching upon it. So is Katie. Oh no, Jay, you cut out again. It seems like. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. Okay, there we go. There we go. I know what's happening. When my screen goes dark, that's when it happens. So it seems like um, a lot of times the direct action conversation only comes up when we say, when we're, we're in this context of politics and, and some of us not wanting to participate, then we go, well, we want to do this. We should be doing a direct action. Yeah, let's do both. But it's never applied in that manner. So so, for example, like we go, oh, let's do both direct action and politics or, or and electoralism. But then we proceed to, you know, talk about electoralism 90 percent of the time, plan about electoralism 90 percent of the time and really just do direct action. Just really just just pontificate about it, not really doing it. And I just think that it, it needs to be flipped almost and maybe not mm-hmm. flipped, but there needs to be electoralism 2022 direct action all through 2022 all through 2023 election 2020 you get what i'm saying but it seems Mm -hmm. like all we're planning is from the next election and then talking about direct action and then this is my last point about the same topic and it also feels like there is 
th- there is a a divide in the left, and maybe it's a a class divide uh, for this reason. Um, whereas those that want electoralism, it's hey, hey, those with who want direct action, come participate with us in this electoralism, but it's not reciprocated. You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's like it's like we we're wanted to to participate here, but when we're like what when the side that wants direct action say, okay, now it's time for direct action, then those who wanted us to participate in You cut out again, Jay. Those who wanted us to participate in But 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 those who want us to participate in electoralism when it comes to direct action, um, you know, aren't aren't wait aren't always there in the same way they're there for electoralism. And I'm basically, in another way of saying it, I'm basically saying there needs to be more, if there's more participation, I feel like there's two lefts and there needs to have an agreement maybe, hey, I'll join you in electing non-corporate Democrats if you join me in direct action. Because right now it only feels like it's one way. It's like, mm-hmm. come and help me with electoralism, and then the help with direct action is not there. Yeah. Maybe well, Athena get... can speak to that point. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, I <laughs> love you guys, but it's been two hours, and I really did want to give some callers just an opportunity to weigh in. So, if Rob, if you can say your piece, and then I'll let, um, I'll let you guys give some closing statements. Rob? Hey, yeah, so lucky to get a couple words in here. I have to agree with a lot of the things that have been said. And I think that one of the litmus tests that we should try to apply to candidates that are out here running is a willingness, right, to to name the enemy. And that's what was so annoying mm-hmm. um, with the, the guy from San Jose. I forgot his name. Ashkara. Right? You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that he, he didn't want to name these other people in in the party as his political opponents. And it's like, how can we live with this dichotomy of, like, we need 50 more AOCs or however you want to put it, but... How are we supposed to get 50 more AOCs if we don't name and shame the people who are currently sitting in those seats, you know, who could otherwise be ousted with someone more progressive? And, and it feels like a, a betrayal of, of progressive ideals to not be willing to try to oust the, the people who are who are blocking the progress that that the voters want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to respond to that, I'll, I'll let that one just hang. That down. is an excellent point. I just want to say that that is an excellent, excellent point. Yeah, that's why I try to let the callers talk, guys, but you guys are not <laughs> having it. Like, <laughs> the, the callers are great. They are very insightful. Yeah. Great. Yeah. The, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is, is what feels like this sort of like paradox of, of consequentialism, where on one hand, we see that there are these existing tools and structures, right, like Act Blue and Run for Something and National Democrats Training and whatever. There's these reasons that, uh, you know, Marianne Williamson can easily assemble 50 progressive Democrats who are running for Congress, but it's really difficult to assemble 50 Green Party voters. And ideologically, these are probably pretty much the same individuals. And so I, I want to be party agnostic and you know, say that, that I want to vote for whoever has the right principles, regardless of what label they put on themselves. But also it does feel like, you know, when you look at the consequentialism in the bigger picture, right, we got Joe Biden, we don't have any meaningful climate progress or, or social justice progress seemingly in the last decade or more. And so how do we how do we break ourselves free of feeling 
trapped to the Democratic Party where it's the only place where we can see what what feels like scraps of progress and yet also nothing nothing at all. How do we get a Green Party candidate or whatever who's so charismatic that a big enough portion of the Democratic base breaks off and then all of a sudden it's the youth who are holding these gray-haired moderates hostage saying <laughs> you can't win the presidential election without us and now you need to come to our side. Is there is there any way we can change the paradigm? Where- what do you guys think? Uh, no, there there is not. Uh, there's too much entren- entrenched corruption. Um, really, for any of these 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 uh, let's get some good people in tactics, there's too much entrenched uh, corruption with money. Now, a lot of what we're talking about when we're saying the Democratic Party, if money was out of politics, a lot of this will be this will be a, a new point. Like we would just support. But the problem is, um, and I mentioned this before when Afini, you you were off, is that um, the problem is the Democratic Party are imperialist. The problem is the Democratic Party are oppressive. The problem is the Democratic Party are racist. So my fundamental question is, what value does it have to add to the progressive racist team? Like, what does that do? What is adding to a, a racist imperialist team? How does, so this is a better way of saying it. If I want Medicare for all, how does joining a party that doesn't want it get that? If I want climate change, how does joining a, 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 a party who don't trust the science get me that? It's just weird, the logic in it. And I did a, I did a, a short video, and, it's, and maybe this is a better comparison. If I'm an abolitionist, how does joining the slave owners team get me freedom? It doesn't. Yeah, I think that that's a very fair point. The only counterpoint I would bring up is right when we look at at pieces of history, right? And you do need to cherry pick, say, 10 or 20 years at a time, like uh, the civil rights era or the New Deal era. But parties can on some level change and realign, right? And I get that you're taking a, a very big picture view here, but Right. I think that there's some merit to saying that you can sort of ship of Theseus your way in and, and bring in new building blocks and make Absolutely. a new thing that sits on. Hmm. Absolutely. And I just think that it's a different way to do that. I do think, again, I'm not for against totally all inside strategies. I'm just against the inside strategy that has been tried for the last 50 years. That's all. So, uh, Jay, outside of a candidate who runs explicitly against the Democratic Party, is there another is that what you mean? Or is there, are there other kinds of inside strategies that you would support? No, that's it. Because the problem is the Democratic Party. And this is the reason why I always go after them is because even in a duopoly narrative, the Republicans are the bad guys. So that's no need to go after them. You go after the, the idea, the concept that there is a good guy, a good person, a good side in this duopoly. All right. I hear that. Let's, let's just do one more. John, shoot your shot. What's on your mind? John, you got to unmute yourself. I'm a huge fan of all of you. And I I just want to really thank all of you guys for having this conversation um, and having it with each other. I really feel like we all on the left are having it um, collectively, at least um, in our own thought process. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I wanted to throw um, a crazy hypothetical out there because I thought it might um, be interesting to to see what what your reactions would be. 
So on my, my lefty vision board, um, Pramila's primary is this August in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a close primary, so you have to run as a Democrat. Um, how would you guys feel about, or what do you think of the idea of Kshama Sawant uh, running within the Democratic Party, um, as uh, I guess, as Jay mentioned earlier, um, sort of as an infiltrator um, and with that message front and center um, and and being able to garner support that way? Because what I'm, what I, I think a piece of what I'm getting at is that I, I don't really blame the voters for not getting excited about candidates. I sort of blame, I think if we had the right kind of candidates with the right kind of messaging, that's not 2018 messaging, a $15 wage and Medicare for all. Um, I really think we, we would be able to excite people, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Panel? Um, I didn't, didn't she already say that she would not would not do that? It was um, she the woman that was with you and Chris Hedges? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, hypothetically, mm-hmm. would you support, I mean, maybe this is kind of, it's kind of a J question, right? Because this is, this is yeah. the theory. If someone like Shama Swant Swan, ran against um, Pramila Jayapal, let's say she did not explicitly, well, she would. I mean, she would say she was running against the Democratic Party. There's no way she wouldn't. I mean, I guess you, I presume you would support that. Uh, I mean, there's there's layers of, 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 you know, basically, because we know who she are, is and she's already ran as a socialist, I would vote for her because she's already been in office as a socialist. She's already garnered enough attention, enough people know her that if she's in Congress and brings up stuff, I know she's not going to be corrupted because there's a track record. So it, you get what I'm saying? We're- you cut out again, Jay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think we probably all agree. It's not the hardest hypothetical, John. <laughs> um, but to me, the only thing that would put a wrinkle in it for someone like Jay is whether or not the candidate ran explicitly against the Democrats. Because there's a world where you say, I trust Shama, so she doesn't actually have to say I'm against the Democrats. We all know. Exactly. That's the point that I was making. So you're, you're saying even if she didn't say she's running against the Democrats, you'd still support her. Right. Her specifically. Anyone else, I, I can't even imagine me have making that jump her specifically i mean bernie sanders is no shama swamp but i think a lot of us kind of felt that way about him that he's been an independent for a million years that he of course has to run as a democrat that we trust him and you know and then you know a lot of us were unhappy with the way things ended up at the end of things yeah and and so that's just i mean it just i'm just putting that out there i again there's there's plenty of room between shama and bernie (laughs) But there there was a time where I didn't really know that. I guess I hadn't really realized that about Bernie. And, you know, I think that there's something in the water. I don't know. When you get in there, people's decision-making seems to be changing rather radically. I'm reading the worst book in the world right now um, called The Other Black Girl. Truly, I don't want to do a show about it. I think T already did one on Champagne Sharks because it is the worst book in the world. But, like, well, actually, I'm not going to spoil this book for you. The point is that sometimes brainworms happen, and it's not clear what's like motivating people's processes. And I don't know what they put in the water in Congress, but I would hate to see it if someone like Shama ended up disappointing us. So I'd almost rather not see it at all. Yeah, I agree. All right, John, thank you for wrapping up. Uh, I let's go through this panel real quick. And so everyone can know where to find you and follow you and hear more of your great work. Let's start with you. Bank sisters. Um, yeah, you can just find us on YouTube at Bank Sisters. Um, and I just wanted to thank both you and Katie and 
all of you ladies for doing that panel. I know you're taking a lot of heat, but it's also because you're feeling what everybody feels about the Democrats right now. So uh, you're brave. And great job on the um, on that Ash interview, Bree. I really like, enjoyed that one. Thank you, Courtney. And everybody who hasn't heard it can go and watch it on YouTube. I was very proud of it and thought it was important. And, you know, if you do a, a video about fighting on and fighting on the left, you get a bunch of clicks. If you do an important interview with a congressional candidate who has the power to pass Medicare for all in California, it gets like 10,000 views. So vote with your clickers and promote and share if you can. Um, let's hear next from you, Afini. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Everyone can follow me everywhere at red with two D's. It's Ari. Um, and as far as like all the things that I have coming up, so I, I'm going to be doing a lot of things. So on March um, 26th, uh, March 27th, excuse me, um, I'm doing an international women's rally out here in D.C. Oh, not just me. Um, I'm on the organizing committee for it. Um, I'll also be, I'm also on the organizing committee for the Debt Collective is having a day of action in D.C. It, it, mm. April 4th. So anybody that wants to come out to that, please come. Um, and, you know, definitely be there. Mm-hmm. My org is relaunching um, pretty soon. Uh, we've been on a hiatus, so we're going to be relaunching with our um, with our six months plans about what we're going to be doing for mutual aid. So please keep an eye out for that. Um, like I said, you can follow me on everything at Red is Ari. Um, and yeah, just build dual power. Don't be afraid. Like nothing is worse than what the fuck we're going through right now. So go, let's get in the street. Thanks, Avini. Um, Katie, where can people find you? Hey, so people can find me on here on Colin, by the way, um, where I have a show. I have two shows. I have the Katie Helper show and I usually do that Sunday nights and Thursday nights. Uh, sorry, Sunday nights and Tuesday nights. Um, cause I have a show on YouTube, the Katie helper show Sunday nights and Tuesday nights. And I hop on here and then I'm also the co-host of useful idiots, uh, which is with, uh, Aaron Mate, uh, while Matt Taibbi's on sabbatical. And so we do a thing on call in Monday mornings. We do something, uh, 10 AM on YouTube. And then we hop over here to answer people's questions. So at 11 AM over here, and that's at, um, so YouTube.com slash the Katie Helper Show and YouTube.com slash Idiots. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. All right. And thank you, Katie. You're you're known and loved. People people know where to find the hardest working woman on the left. Oh, cool. <laughs> and definitely watching useful idiots tomorrow. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and Jay, last but not least, thank you so much for you know bringing your perspective and having such an unflinching critique. Uh, I really wanted to have this conversation with you and I'm really appreciative of your willingness to engage. Where can people find more of your excellent critique and commentary? Uh, well, like Katie said, I'm on here. Colin uh, Compton made me. You can uh, look me up here. Just joined today, by the way. And then on Twitter, same thing. Compton made me on YouTube, uh, the the Revolutionary Blackout Network, um, and I also have the Populous uh, uh, Voice. Um, and I would hope. I just want to put this out for Katie and 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 Bree. I would hope if we have a third party candidate uh, siege the House, that you're able and willing to participate. And that one, like like the this Democratic one, and then I last, love to. <laughs> and then last, and last but not uh, uh, least, I, I you know I want to leave everybody with this: capitalism has traumatized all of us. 
So make sure you take care of your mental health every single day. And that's what I got. Thank you so much for that, Jay. Thank you all. This has been a really great panel. Thank you for all of you have called in. I wasn't sure who was going to be available at different times of day. I'm getting a sense of it, but we had a nice, healthy crowd here today. Apologies to all the folks in the queue. I see some old timers. Sylvester, haven't talked to you in a while. Tucker, talk to you all the time, but I always love to hear from you. Um, We'll be back tomorrow after tomorrow's episode posts. You know what it is. Get in the queue fast, and hopefully I'll get to you. Thanks to everyone as always, and as always, keep the faith. I wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing boss scans. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million hours. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all my million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beatles, man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather risk the help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish. And every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. Every time we love and it feels just like this. Like this.